Welcome to the Creation Podcast. I'm Christy Hardy. Today we have two guests. First, we'll hear about geologist Dr. Tim Clary's work with the ICR Discovery Center and find out what Grand Canyon can tell us about a major event described in the Bible. Welcome, Tim. It's great to be here. So, ICR is currently building a Discovery Center in Dallas. Tell us a little about your involvement in its Grand Canyon exhibit. What are you up to right now? Well, recently I just labeled all the rock units across the Grand Canyon exhibit, and we're looking at the various layers. We're trying to get the colors exactly right, the shapes just right, so when people view Grand Canyon, they'll be able to be almost like they're there. This is the only exhibit of its kind in the, in the world that I know of that shows Grand Canyon in kind of a small scale. But it's going to be colored and textured, so it's going to look just about like you're actually at the Grand Canyon itself. As a geologist at ICR, you research ways that science confirms the Bible. What can Grand Canyon tell us? Grand Canyon tells us a lot about God's global flood, his judgment uh, year of the flood. It shows many of the sediments that were deposited during the year of the flood, especially early on. And we see the, the great unconformity, as it's called, at the base of the Tapete Sandstone, the very first real flood layer that was deposited. And that shows many fossils show up suddenly, also including the Cambrian explosion, but it also shows that things just suddenly appear, and there's a kind of a planed-off surface, an erosional surface, just before it was deposited. So it's very flat, very extensive, and in fact, that same Tapete sandstone goes across most of the North American continent. It just changes names from place to place, but it's the exact same sandstone layer, almost like a large blanket sand. And that's exactly what we expect in a global flood, to see these large sedimentary units. So Grand Canyon exhibits that to beat sandstone perfectly at the base of the sedimentary rock layers. And as above that, as you go up, you see the limestone called the Redwall limestone. It's been stained red by some shales above it, but it's also very extensive, and it goes for miles and miles and miles in all directions. And actually, much of that limestone covers a great portion of North America as well. So these large, extensive sedimentary layers that contain millions and millions of fossils that cover much of the world, not just North America, but cover large portions of the continents that we can see, again, concrete evidence of the flood. When people visit the Discovery Center and see the Grand Canyon exhibit, what do you hope they'll take away? Well, I hope they'll take away an idea that the flood was real, that there really was a global flood, and these sediments really do show evidence that confirms exactly what the Bible says. That these sediments, they don't show evidence of time in between the layers. Secular scientists try to put in about 160 million years of missing time between some of the Cambrian layers, right above the Tapete sandstone, and then into the Redwall limestone, there's supposed to be about 160 million years of time missing. And there's no evidence of that. When you look at the rocks, and our exhibit is going to show this accurately, just the way the rocks really do look, there's no erosional surfaces. It's just layer upon layer, just like bricks in a brick wall. So it's really going to showcase that there is evidence of a flood, a one-year global flood that didn't take great periods of time. There weren't a bunch of floods coming in over millions of years and going back, going back. It was one continuous event. Why is a biblical understanding of geology important? Well, I think geology is is a way to confirm the Bible, and, and it's all around us. People can understand geology. They can relate to geology. They can see mountains. And people often wonder, why did those get there? And did the floodwaters have to flood this, you know, all the way up to Mount Everest? And, and as a flood geologist, we can explain to people that, you know, those mountains, most of those rose late. But yet they showcase all the fossils and the rocks that were deposited early in the flood. They got pushed up later in the flood. And those exposures then, including the dinosaur fossils and all the fossils we find, show the record of this catastrophic judgment called the global flood that really did occur. So I think geology is, is one of those sciences where it's not just something you do in a laboratory. I guess you can see it in your daily life. Why does it matter that people believe the global flood really happened? Well, I think if people walk away from the exhibit and they, and they realize that the flood really was the real event, 
something that really took place just thousands of years ago, that God provided a way. He provided a way for Noah and his family. He provided room on the ark for more people, but only eight people actually believed that it was going to be a flood. Uh, he also provided for us today. God provided through Christ and his death and resurrection. He provided salvation for all of mankind. And we just have to, again, believe, like the people at the time had to believe there was going to be a flood. We have to believe that Christ is our only source of salvation today. Thanks, Tim. We'll chat with our next guest in just a moment. But first, let's talk dinosaurs. Dr. Tim Clary and his wife Renee wrote a fun children's book called Big Plans for Henry. Join Henry the Hadrosaur as he journeys through the pre-flood world. Learn fascinating details about dinosaurs, fossils, and the global flood. Order your copy of Big Plans for Henry at icr.org store. Will you help us reach your family and friends with scientific evidence that confirms the Bible? Join us November 27th for Giving Tuesday, an online giving event where people all over the world contribute to causes they care about. To support ICR on Giving Tuesday, visit icr.org donate giving. Welcome back. Our next guest is ICR geneticist, Dr. Jeff Tompkins. He's going to explain what genetic clocks reveal about the origins of life. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Jeff. Great to be here. Jeff, please give us some background on genetic clocks. What are they, and how do scientists interpret them? You know, scientists have been fascinated with the idea of measuring changes in the DNA of humans and other organisms to come up with a genetic clock. Genetic clocks are thought to calculate how long a species has existed. And you know, there's basically two ways to do this. One method is hypothetical and totally speculative, while the other method is empirical. You know, it's interesting, the empirical approach is yielding huge amounts of data that fit perfectly with the Genesis account of origins. That's fascinating. How do scientists do this? Well, the purely speculative approach is used by theoretical evolutionists. It involves comparing the different genes that are very similar between completely, totally unrelated organisms like humans, apes, horses, rabbits. The DNA differences are then combined with totally speculative and hypothetical deep evolutionary time points to create these fictional evolutionary clocks. This technique is totally riddled with problems that give widely different results, depending on the gene sequences and the organisms being studied, as well as the speculative evolutionary time points taken from paleontology used to calibrate the clocks. And you know, despite being calibrated by deep time, the time points that emerge as to when creatures allegedly evolved are frequently in conflict with those derived from paleontology. So that's the speculative approach. Tell us about the other method. Now, the other method, the empirical method of developing a genetic clock, simply involves measuring the amount of DNA variation in a single type of creature. In humans, this is done by examining the DNA variation in large families, from babies to grandparents. In lab animals, like fruit flies, the process is applied over many generations of these creatures raised in the lab. You know, when these results, or these rates, are extrapolated using pragmatic timelines, like generation length, or how long the organism can live and reproduce, or population demographics, the results are not only really accurate and practical and make sense, but they're highly unsupportive of evolution, and they support creation and what we know of the book of Genesis. Evolutionary scientists recently conducted a study on genetic clocks. 
Can you tell us about it? Yes, it's really interesting because just this year, secular scientists analyzed the DNA barcodes or DNA sequences of over 100,000 animal species using about 5 million different DNA sequences. These were researchers at the Rockefeller University and the University of Basel in Switzerland. And you know, they found that the DNA variation among humans was about the same as that observed for the many animal species they studied. They also discovered that each kind of creature was genetically distinct, having clear genetic boundaries. Just like the book of Genesis says, everything was created after its kind. You know, one of the study authors, Dr. David Thaler, said, if individuals are stars, then species are galaxies. They are compact clusters in a vastness of empty sequence space. How do evolutionary scientists explain this study's findings? When the researchers extrapolated this data into time frames of origins, they discovered that about 90% of all animal life was roughly the same very recent age by evolutionary standards. It complete contradiction of the entire evolutionary paradigm. Another study author named Mark Stuckel said, it is more likely that at all times in evolution, the animals alive at that point arose relatively recently. According to evolution, animal life rose progressively over 500 million years, a half a billion years, not all at once in recent time. In fact, these authors, in a vain attempt to explain these results that totally contradicted evolution, speculated that somehow life got wiped out about 100,000 to 200,000 years ago and then had to restart again. Of course, evolutionists don't like that either. This is just an ad hoc explanation that really doesn't explain the study's findings. But the study findings perfectly correlate with the Bible, which says everything was created recently, about 6,000 years ago, all at once, just like these study authors discovered. How should Christians view these findings? Well, because the data in genetic clocks, if it's empirical and not speculative, totally matches up with the scriptures. And empirical data is rock solid, but speculative data fashioned using calibrations from imaginary deep evolutionary time over millions of years doesn't even provide a good answer even within the evolutionary algorithms and mathematical equations. But the empirical data totally matches scriptures. Once again, research from genetics totally validates the scriptures and shows that science supports the scriptures, that Christians don't need to worry about what scientists are discovering because it's lining up with the Bible. Dr. Jeff, thanks for updating us on this recent genetic research. The more science and technology advance, the more we discover new evidence that confirms the Bible. And thank you, podcast listeners, for tuning in. If you'd like ICR to answer your creation questions on future episodes, send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ICR science. Remember to subscribe to the Creation Podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. Join ICR next time for another episode of the Creation Podcast.